0: Welcome to Waiting for a View, a show that follows the journeys of two independent iOS developers. I'm Dave Knott, an iOS developer from Devon, England.
1: And I'm Dave Wood, a developer from Leicester, England.
0: Join us as we discuss the development, code and technology of our independent journeys. All right, so we're doing something a little bit special this week. It's been a goal of ours for a little while to have a guest on our podcast. We wanted to, to really give developers out there in the iOS community a chance to come on and share their experience with us and, and you, the listener. Um, so we're super lucky this week. We've got Stephen Bigstaff joining us. Stephen is a freelance iOS developer uh, from Glasgow in Scotland. Um, he's working as a contractor and has a few of his own apps in the store. Um, so many thanks for doing this. Stephen, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you guys? Cool. So to kick us off, uh, I think, Dave, you've got a question.
1: Yeah. Um, so, Stephen, can you sort of tell us a little bit about how you got into developing apps in the first place? Um, what led you into iOS development? Um, well, uh, I went
2: to university just as the the first iPhone was coming out. Um so I, I kind of I witnessed the the whole rise of the the app store ecosystem as I was learning programming which was kind of the perfect time. Um originally I, I thought that I wanted to go into programming to make games which you know is the, the iOS games sector pretty kicked off a lot as well uh, back in the yeah. early kind of gold rush with Angry Birds and stuff. Um <laughs> but um I, I I was always interested in you know kind of pervasive computing like you know computers that are powerful and you don't even really realize how much they're doing for you in your life so i was totally sold on all the cheesy steve jobs talks about how this device will change your world and um that was where i kind of i thought well you know this is i want to jump on board with this and it it seemed totally miles apart from any other device that was out in the market it wasn't until i a few months later, people started showing up with the T Mobile Android phones that that were honestly were awful in comparison. I, I, I didn't understand yeah. why any of these guys were were even looking at Android when you know they, they had this really nice glass screen on the iPhone that had multi touch and pan gestures and um. So I, I started digging into that, and while I was at university, I was quite lucky in that we had a, a pervasive computing course uh a phase of computing module as part of our course um and for the coursework for that we we got to decide um whether we were doing android ios or kind of embedded systems um right. so I, it, was, it was a group project and my friend rufus and i um decided to do ios um we we made uh a, basically a scavenger hunt game, but with QR codes. So you had to run around with your your iPhone scanning QR codes and then it would give you a clue to where the next one was. Um, and that, that was our coursework for the, the pervasive computing app. Um, we, I think Xcode was still in its infancy at that time. Interface Builder was separate from Xcode. Um, it, right. it was a different app that you had to load up and then save the XML and then hope that it loaded uh, when you when you initialized it programmatically, and, um,
0: <laughs>
2: it se- seems completely Sorry. strange now. But you know, it didn't crash as often as it crashes now. So, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. Yeah, um, so that that was my first taste of mobile development. Um, after I graduated from university, um, it was originally I was doing PHP, um, which was a, a whole other world. I'd never even touched on PHP at university, so. The learning curve was quite steep being thrown in like your first ever job in a language that you don't know um yeah and I I kind of I, I didn't really enjoy it and I was starting to have doubts you know as programming for me um and that that company kind of wound up um and I, I, I found myself out of a job and in the in the free time that I had it was only a couple of weeks two or three weeks that I was out of a job um I I decided to go back to mobile programming because that was where the like I had the most fun. Um yeah. And you know I was doing that in my spare time and then like as chance would have it, um a lot of the guys that were in the company that I previously worked for that had wound up started a, a new company. And none of them had any experience with any C-based language at all really. Um a couple of them had a couple of the managers had done Java in the past but Everyone else was PHP or HTML, CSS, um, JavaScript. No one had any experience with C-based language. And at this point, uh, I think Titanium was out making I- iPhone apps um, and JavaScript. But, you know, it, it just wasn't anywhere close to what native was at that point. Um, Xamarin was a thing. But again, it, it wasn't really anywhere close to what native was. So they really wanted someone to come in and, and build native apps. So they, you know, they asked me, in um, a phone call. Um you know, if you if you we heard that you you've we know that you've done C sharp in the past, um, but you know, have you have you done Objective C have you done mobile apps? And this one university project that I'd done years before. Um and and I just I I didn't lie, but I I can I, I made it sound <laughs> like it was a much greater project than it it was. Um and I was like, so yeah, yeah, on a bit. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um oh it'll be no problem, no problem. Like loads of experience, uh, done this app, gave it gave him the source code so that he could look at it. Um and he was like, Yeah, come on board. Um we've got an iOS app that we're needing built, um and we want you to come in and build it as a so like as the only iOS developer in the whole company. And I my in my head I was saying, Steven, you're crazy. Uh, don't do this. This is so much pressure. Um, but then, on the other hand, was I was like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Um, it's it's a good opportunity to to learn something. It's something I always enjoyed. So I went on board and started there. And um, six months later, we had the iOS app on the App Store. Um, it was basically going into work every day and doing a bit of work, going home that night, doing tutorials, reading books, and then going in the next day and Put into practice what I'd learned, and slowly just built the app over a period of about six months.
1: Awesome! <laughs>
0: that's incredible. That's uh, maybe something that you can't can't get out of uni, I suppose. In that sense, that ability to to take something and then put it straight into practice almost the next day. That's um, yeah, that's that's yeah. Incredible. It was. I
2: remember at one point. Um, so uh, when we'd built the app previously, we hadn't used any navigation controllers or anything. We just you know pro- programmatically um modally just shoved view on top of view with the the app that we'd made in university so i was getting to grips with navigation controllers and then the next day i was building a navigation controller in the app that was going to be used and then you know i'd go back home and i'd learn about storyboards versus zubs and then the next day i would go in and make a storyboard and yeah it was it was yeah. definitely a good way to keep
0: it in your mind Um i found myself a, did you find burnout an issue at any point because that sounds quite intensive what you're describing there
2: yeah but i mean i suppose um i think i was just petrified of going back to the, the not having a job because at that point you know i'd I'd had like three four months experience in php um i had my degree from university which wasn't an honors which is kind of the norm in scotland that you stay on for your four years and get an honors and i'd actually left yeah. early to get this job um so I was I was it was more out of like fear of well if I'm not going to do this and I'm going to get burnt out doing this what's the alternative um, mm-hmm. and that that kept me on my toes um, there was times where you know I was I was a bit tired but they were re- they were actually really understanding um, they they knew that I hadn't been doing iOS development professionally they knew I'd done it at university but you know they were like well some things will take a while some things will take longer than like a a professional developer would have. And they gave me a lot of freedom, a lot, a lot of freedom to to kind of go at my own pace, but with a a little reminder that, you know, this is a real world client.
1: That's really awesome.
0: Yeah, it it was a great opportunity. So you've got some of your own apps in the App Store. Yep. Um, Would you mind just maybe telling us a little bit about those? Yeah.
2: um, So I've got, a game called Splemmy um that i made while i was um at university um it was made with a as a kind of part of a game jam uh, i don't know if you've heard of of game jams it's like a a 48 hour usually a 48 hour um kind of you know program head first no sleep, like very little sleep Everyone in one location over a weekend. Then at the end of the forty-eight hours, you've got a game. Hopefully,
0: um, is that kind of like a hackathon?
2: Yeah, basically, it's it's just a hackathon for for games. Um, so that okay, there's cool. a, a global one every year that um, you can uh, you register on the global website as a, a site for the, the like a physical real world location that you're going to host, and then people just kind of register at your site and show up. So I think there's like. I can't, there, there's tens of thousands of people who take part worldwide, um, and it's in the last weekend in January every year. Um, so my university was one of the sites, um, and they used to run prizes and stuff for you know everyone at their site as well. Because like the the global one, it's obviously far too big to coordinate. Um, but they locally at the at the university, they kind of they do the you know first place gets this and. Um like they, they have judges and there's I mean, for a student it's quite a, a serious thing. Like you can find yourself in teams with with people that um are professionals that work in the games industry and it's it can be a bit, you know, starstruck when you, you find out that you've been sitting having a conversation with these guys that you now worked on Killzone and Grand Theft Auto and <laughs> Oh yeah. And and you're still like this second year student that barely knows how to do a tile map. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I got I done game jam in my last year at university, not long before I left, um, and I I got put in a team with just incredible people. Really, um, I I was pr- proficient in C sharp at the time for the level I was at, but the level I was at was kind of middle of university. Um, whereas the the other coder that I was with was I wouldn't say a genius at, at C-sharp and, and programming in general, but he was very, very good, uh, way beyond his years. Um, and he basically made all the all the difficult bits. He was, he was putting his hand up and saying, like, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. Um, you know, built his own physics engine in two days, as well as writing a lot of the rest of the game. And I was just kind of... <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, um, I was basically just following on behind him, fixing bugs here and there and writing nice menu systems and credit screens and high score tables and he was going in and doing all the the nitty gritty stuff. Um, So then we ended up winning the the Game Jam that year. Um, We got a couple of awards, uh, Best art, and we came second for Best Technology as well. Um, So that was written in C Sharp on the desktop Um, but it was really designed as a, a mobile game but at that point it was just too much to expect to get an iOS game made in a weekend. And the tool sets just weren't really up to scratch back then for that. Yeah. Um, so we kind of took that on as a, a project in our spare time. Um, and over the years, um, I ended up working for companies, like quite large companies that wouldn't let me work on anything in my spare time. Um, so I, I kind of became less and less involved as time went on. Um and it was eventually rewritten in Unity. Um I think some of the C sharp code got carried over um because obviously Unity runs in a kinda like slightly different version of C sharp from what I understand. Um so a lot of the C sharp code got carried over into the Unity and then that got put in the store. Um eventually. Um Microsoft uh actually got involved. Um they wanted they had this um kind of drive to get apps on the, the Windows Phone store before iOS and Android when they were still pushing Windows Phone 7 and before even Windows yeah. Phone 8 or 10. Um, so they offered us a, a chunk of money to develop it for Windows Phone and then keep it exclusive there for a set period of time. Um, so we, we basically took that money and paid um, you know the, the business running costs with that over a couple of years and also gave some developers some money and... Um, just kind of students that, that could still work on it, and just because um, the original two programmers, me and uh, guy called Alistair, um, I was working at a company that was written into my contract, absolutely nothing in your spare time. And Alistair had went to Greece at this point. Um, his his father was Greek, um, so he'd went back home after there after university. Um, so the company were kind of left in a sticky situation, and they they just used the money that Microsoft had made to port the game over the C# game over to Unity get it on Windows and then just held on to the source code for a, a, about a year and a half until we could put it on iOS and Android um
1: so that that right so it's it's back on iOS and Android now yep
2: yep um as of middle of last year um it, it's on iOS and Android um and the other apps I've got are just kind of general you know I've got a a mileage calculator that you can fire in uh, how many miles you do um, as a freelancer or a self limited company um self employed, and you can see how much you could claim in mileage back off your tax. From MRC, HMRC, HMRC. Um, awesome. It, it was just a Swift app, really, to get myself involved with Swift three that I'd been putting off for far too long. Um, <laughs> I've got, I've got another app um, that. Uh, track your expenses and again this was just born out of my own need to you know if I, if I was buying something i was quite i was finding at the end of the month um with my business account you know I, I would look at all these transactions and i would say what what was that when did i buy that and this just says amazon what did i buy on amazon for x amount of money so i, I got this little app that anytime i buy something for my business i just force touch on the 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 app icon and it comes up with ads, Hit it, bitten quickly how much it was, what it was about, and just hit save. And then at the end of the month, when I'm doing my accounts, I just load the app up and I say, "All right, that that matches up with that. That matches up with that." Um,
1: oh, cool. So, stuff that's useful immediately to you, but but also that demonstrates your sort of skills and abilities yeah, with sort of yeah. public apps on the App Store. Yeah.
2: Um, um, it was a chance to work on things that I wasn't getting to work on in the contracts or the day job. As well so i've got like force touch in there i've got touch id Um yeah just keeping myself fresh with the, the newer technologies on ios really which i think is important to do especially as a contractor
1: yeah um i was going to ask you actually Stephen. um you've kind of worked on um you've worked within quite a few different places mm-hmm. um as a contractor um And I think you've you've had sort of experience of working in places where they're sort of small teams um, and bigger teams as well. Yep. Um, I was kind of interested to know in your experience, what are the sort of key differences you've sort of found sort of from the smallest sort of through to the biggest?
2: Um, So I I would say
1: in the smaller teams,
2: um, you're kind of, you're expected to be a jack of all trades. Um, You know, you'll find yourself in core data one day and... The next day you'll be an interface builder doing the UI, um, which is not, it's not you know in in larger companies it's not strictly you know you're the core data guy, um, but you know that you're focused a lot more I think in the larger companies you're either focused on one application the either, companies tend to either split it by application or by um, functionality so um they'll have a a, depending on the size of the company i guess but um, i've worked in places that have had you know these three guys specialize in these three apps um and they work on mainly networking and security or these other three guys work on mainly core data persistent storage keychain um and these other guys work on user interface and animations and that sort of thing um i think everywhere is different um I think one of the good things about iOS is there's just so many varieties of teams and so many different shapes and sizes. Um some of it doesn't always match the, the needs of the apps that it's made, they're making. Um but that's a, Yeah. Um it's, it's something difficult to get right, I think. You know, if if you go down the route of um having John the core data guy, you know what happens when John leaves and no one else knows how to do core data. Um Yeah. But yeah, one, the main thing I've noticed in, in, in the smaller teams is you know, no one owns any particular part of the code. Everyone is equally responsible for all of it. Um, management typically expect to be able to come to you and say, such and such, done this, he's off this week, go pick it up, I need this bug fixed. Um, whereas in the, the larger companies, you don't get that as much.
1: Right, so it tends to sort of be... Um... Not a silo, but a little bit more specialized in the larger places. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I guess with that, um, that sort of brings its own kind of intricacies as well in the smaller places, because that sort of means that you're having to, to work in a way where um, you expect that, you know, that person next week might be picking up your code while you're on holiday and, and that sort of thing. Yeah,
2: I mean... Uh, in, in general, I, I always try and leave code the way I found it, um, at least if I, um, you know, or leave code the way I would like it to be found rather. Um, I think it it's something that you have to take into account. I mean, Apple have all these naming conventions and um, like well thought out uh, APIs and that sort of thing for a reason. You know, they, they want you to emulate that. Uh, so, yeah. so that someone else picks up your code three years from now, and it's a kind of universal language. They know that you know this function will return this just by looking at it, and uh, that sort of thing. Um, so, I, I think there's there's an element of that, no matter what size of company you're in, um, but but definitely yeah. a lot more in the smaller companies.
1: And I would say, from a sort of indie perspective, a solo developer's perspective, you know that that other person picking it up in you know, six months, a year or whenever is you. Yep. Um, so there's something to be said for kind of maintaining that sort of view all the time, really, because especially if it's a side project or whatever, if you're going to be kind of picking it up later on um, and trying to add new features, you don't want to make it a project that's a real pain to sort of get inside yeah.
0: of. <laughs> yeah, I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah. I, I revisited some code that I wrote, must have been two years ago, and um, oh, I don't know what I was thinking. So yeah, I, I always try and bear, you know, future me in mind as much as possible. Now, when I'm working, like you say, as an indie, it becomes very, very important to to make sure you're kind of looking after your future self in that sense. Um, so I kind of learnt that the hard way. Um, I, th-
2: I think so one... um, it's, it's quite funny when you you know you're working on a, a project that you've been working on for six months to a year and. Mm-hmm you look back at this bit of code and you think who wrote that that's awful and you pull up to get blame and it was your like it was you that wrote it and you're thinking oh what
0: <laughs> but then then the flip side is is that as you improve you are naturally going to look back on your older stuff and think about oh what was that yeah, so yeah yeah sw- swings and roundabouts one thing i wanted to ask you Stephen. um i know we've spoken a little bit about this um before recording um it's about continuous integration mm-hmm. um it's something I know I'm keen to get a grip of um, for my own apps as a, as a solo indie. Um, And I'm guessing you've had quite a lot of experience with that throughout your various, various roles. And I wondered if you could maybe, maybe give us a little bit of a, where, where one might start if you're someone like me as a, as a small indie. Yeah.
2: um, Well, I I was quite lucky to, um, I was was working at quite a large company um, when Xcode server Um, became, you know, usable, um, for lack of a better expression. Um, There was a lot of teething issues, I think, when Apple first introduced it, and it was a a bit of an an arcane art to get it up and running and, you know, smoothly building. Um, It's much better these days. Um, And I've worked on, you know, a lot of different continuous integration systems. I've obviously Xcode Server... Um, buddy build um, and more recently Jenkins, um, and there, there's pros and cons to all of them. But I would say as as a small developer, um, the first the first step really of getting everything up and running is is getting your your code unit tested. Um, once you've got that, um, even even just you know ten unit tests just to to give yourself something on the report um, in your CI box, um, and then depending on how complicated your app is, I would say just stick it on BuddyBuild. Um, they've got a free service, or they, they did, I'm sure they still do have a free, a free service um, that lets you put your app up there. Um, you you stick in a, a commit hook, a web hook, um, so that it detects any changes on your branch, automatically pulls the code, builds it, runs a unit test and gives you a nice little report at the end. Um I would say from start to finish, not including writing the unit tests, that would take about half an hour to set up. Um the only problem with the free tier is that you don't have priority processing. So if you know if a big company X walks in and they've got a build due out tomorrow and they want to kick off a hundred branches, they get all the processing power on the site. And sure. um you you could be left a couple hours just waiting on your build. Um the alternative if you if you've got a bit more in depth you know if, you've, if you if say you've written your own framework is a good example buddy build doesn't support frameworks last i heard um
1: right so that would be problematic for me because one of the things i've kind of got my eye on is um putting tests and everything into a framework i've got in a couple of my apps yeah. um so, so what i would
2: i would suggest for that you, is um you know the same approach you know you, you get your a small amount of unit tests um if you've got a separate, if you're lucky enough to have a separate Mac that you're not really using, um, just stick um, OS macOS server. Um, forget what the the version number is for the most recent one, but um, you stick that on. It's a free download from the developer site. It works a bit differently from downloading Xcode. Um, you you go into your the developer portal if you're a paid member, and you actually get a a redeem button. Uh, that opens the Mac app store right. and then redeems a uh, Mac OS server, which is just a download and install, just as if you're doing a, a system update really. Um, and once you get up and running with that, um, you go into the server application and flick on a little switch Xcode server. And then it's just a case of who connects code up to your source control system. Um, there is, I don't know if, if you run different schemes for different things. Um it's quite often you get like a you know a, a live scheme and a, a uat scheme or a development scheme yeah um so yep. basically what you have to do is make sure that they're they're shared and um, which means that different users can pick the, pick up the same scheme and run it um okay. so basically your bot runs as a a your your Xcode server runs as a different user from you um so you need to give them access to to run the scheme um and that, that's it really. The, you give them access. You make sure it's a shared scheme. You, you check the shared scheme into your uh, repository and then you, you launch Xcode um, and just create a bot through the product menu at the top. Um, yeah. and it just guides you through it. It's actually quite a nice little wizard that just guides you through, um, asks you what, what sort of things you want. Do you want it to email you when things go wrong or do you want it? Um, to run bash scripts and you know, it can be as complicated or as simple as, as you want. Um once you've got Xcode server up and running and, um, and installed create the actual creating the bot takes less than five minutes. Um,
0: so yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Cool. That's, um, that sounds like a weekend project for me. Um, yeah. We have a, we've got a Mac mini um, that is the sort of family computer for my kids. Yeah. Um, and that is, that, that's usually kind of left on or sleeping most of the yeah. time. So that would be a well, Yeah, that. The good, be ideal the good thing that. about
2: it is um, you can log in as two users on the Mac at the same time. So you could have your Xcode server logged in in the background while your kids are on the Mac and it still runs your builds and does everything in the background.
1: <laughs> yeah, that I think that could work really quite well. Um, um, I'm just wondering, um, are there any... Particular gotchas when you're sort of doing testing to look out for are there things that you can do when you're testing Objective C that you can't do when you're testing Swift, for example?
2: um Well, the, the the major one is you know Swift has a lot more things public by default. um So you can Objective C headers. You know whatever's not in your header, you're not really able to access in your unit test file. Um, So, you know, there's different kind of methodologies behind that. Um, Some people say, well, you shouldn't really be testing anything that's private anyway. And there's a lot of merit to that approach. Um, In reality, sometimes there's this odd thing that, you know, you would quite like to test, but it is a private function. You don't want to make that private function public, but you would like to make sure that it's not going to fall over. Um, So what I tend to do at at that point is just declare a category at the top of my, my unit test file and expose the, the private function in the category. So then it's it's only exposed to that unit test file and the rest of the application still has no idea what's going on. Um, with Swift, you know, you can... Um, there's a lot more power to add functionality to classes in, in line. So, like, in your, in your actual unit test, you can um, add functionality to the class that you're testing uh, to expose things that you've marked as private, I guess, Um don't have too much experience unit testing Swift at, at this point, to be honest. Um, okay. A lot of the the big projects that I'm working on, and a lot of the contracts that I'm working on currently as well, um, are all Objective C.
1: Fair enough. Um, no, I was just wondering because the <clears throat> from a purely um, kind of selfish motivation, really, is that um, the framework I'm thinking about really is, is built in Swift three. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm kind of looking out for my gotchas before I get into that project. Yes, yeah. um, yeah.
2: I would I would just say you know make sure that they kind of stick to the, just stick to the core tenants of of unit testing. You know, just make sure that the the only real object that you've got active at, at any one time is the one you're testing. Try and mock everything else, um, and that's that stops your your app having you know, spinning up parts of your code. You don't particularly want to be spinning up your app delegate and writing things to persistent stores on disk when you're running unit tests. Um, that that can trip you up. Um, you yep. don't particularly want to be running any view controller codes. Um, but you can you know you can unit test individual functions in your view controller, but you don't want to call if you did load and try and access outlets that should have been rendered by a nib because you're not going to be rendering any any nibs um that sort of thing and um, they're the, they're the main gotchas but i guess in the framework you don't have as much of that
1: we've got the joy of swift 4 coming up soon as well haven't yeah. we
2: yeah and I, I remember them saying um you know when swift 3 came out they were saying you know our next our next target is abi stability um which obviously means that you can start writing frameworks in Swift that are, you know, shipped out to dozens of clients. And that means that Apple could potentially start writing their their frameworks in Swift as well. And that was when I was thinking, oh, now's the time to jump on. And just as I jumped on, on board with Swift 3, got a couple apps in the App Store, then it came out, you know, that that thing about ABI stability, probably going to miss that for Swift 4. Um, that won't yep. be in until five or six was the the thing that I read in the newsletter. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's constantly changing. It keeps
1: getting pushed back, yeah. Um, I find that, that a, a little frustrating, really. I mean, it's not particularly holding me up on anything I'm working on right now, yeah. but, you know, I, I understand the sort of broader implications. Like you say, we could have um, system frameworks moving, um towards swift um which i think you know for, for some people is the earmark of when they want to move to swift yeah. actually as well they're kind of waiting for apple to go first yeah um sort of on the, on the frameworks and everything in,
2: in terms of someone on the, on the outside as well you know I'm, I'm working for a client at the moment and he's got a lot of his app is in swift too which you know is having trouble submitting to the app store um yeah. And he originally brought me on board and he says, you know, could you update this to SWIFT three? And in the time that it took us to come to an agreement, SWIFT 3.1 had come out. And then <laughs> I was like, Well, it's not it's not Swift 3 anymore, it's 3.1, and you know, Swift 4 will be out come September. Um and he's like, uh, "Yeah." is there any chance you could just do it in Objective C then? And you know, it wow. makes sense. It, it totally makes sense. He's not constantly having to go back and update the app just for the sake of updating it every time he wants to add a new
1: feature or fix a bug. Yeah, it's that, that bit more stable for that scenario. Yeah. Um, I can imagine you may also see um, situations happening where apps are potentially only getting updated once a year as yeah, well. which is
2: exactly what this, this app was like, yeah. Um, he didn't yeah. have a full time iOS dev. He usually just brings in contractors to fix the odd bug. And every time he was bringing in a contractor, they were adding x amount of hours, and x being a fairly large number just to convert the Swift version.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess it's the, the overhead that it could bring. That kind of might lure you back towards Objective C. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, it's tough. It's tough to it's tough to argue against, isn't it? When you put it in business terms like that.
2: Yeah. And I th- I think there's I mean there's an eco case to to not go the, the opposite way you know there's the java has been around for how long now and it's fairly crippled in what it can do because like you know nothing passes the reviews and because everyone's petrified of changing the syntax Um yeah so like i, I saw a thing recently and they were saying like ibm and a few others have are likely not going to agree on the new version of java which could hold it up six months and you know i don't think there's ever a a point at Swift will get to that stage. Um somewhere in the middle, maybe. Um I think Microsoft does a great job with C Sharp. Um it, it, yep. it gets features fairly fast. Um and it's also quite stable. Um I think Swift in the, the medium term will hopefully um catch up to that. I think that's the benchmark at the moment.
1: Yeah I'd like to see it get there sort of as soon as possible really. Yeah. Um, but um I mean one thing I don't know whether you found this um, with the um, Swift development you did on the the couple of apps you've got on the app store with that, but um, I'm finding the more Swift I do, the more I really enjoy it. Yeah. And I'm I'm definitely finding um, that as well. You know,
2: objective C you're sometimes you feel as if you're writing a lot of code to not do very much. Um, And I think in Swift, it's a lot more lightweight um, in terms of, you know, just the syntax uh just particularly string manipulation which is due to get a lot better in Swift Four. Um so that uh working with collections, that sort of thing, is is just so much once you get a hang of it, it's it's incredible. Um and I, I look forward to, to Swift Four coming out and it being more stable and um working on that full time. I think I, I definitely think that's where my future lies as a developer anyway. Um I think, yeah, me too. I think you know, you, you hear of these, um, these guys that are getting paid a fortune to do Fortran. And I think in 10 years that could be Objective-C developers. You know, the, they're dinosaurs that they're all dying out and no one knows how to write it anymore because everyone's moved on to Swift and Swift's great. Why would you want to do Objective-C?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine um, anybody brand new coming into iOS development now is, is going to be learning objective c to the sort of detail that you'd need to learn it yep um to support applications like that yeah um so you're right another another 10 years time and we'll sort of definitely be in that territory really with it um and no like yourself i, I don't think i could um i don't think i could really picture being the sort of fortran developer at that point yeah
0: exactly
2: no one wants to be the last developer
0: in the room so um this is um, this has been absolutely great Stephen. Um, yeah Dave and I massive thanks for coming on um, but before we wrap things up, we've got one one final question which is what what would you say motivates you the most as a developer right now um I think learning um I, I, I feel like I'm
2: constantly learning you know uh, with, we spoke earlier about you know i would I would go home and read a book. And do some tutorials, and I'd I'd go in and put into practice the next day. It to be honest, it never feels like I stopped doing that. Um, I d- I don't think it ever will. I think the more I learn, the more I realise that I don't I don't know if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> that makes that makes complete sense. I think
2: it, it's very easy to fall into the trap doing uh, iOS development of you know the kind of imposter syndromes, like everyone knows more than me. Um, yep, but you know. It's it's a big world out there. There's so much to learn in iOS development. I'm I'm always a bit skeptical when people say, you know, I'm I'm a full stack developer and iOS and Android, and I'm thinking, well, how much of each of those things do you know? Because I just do iOS full time and I can't keep up.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Where 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 do you find the time? Yeah. <laughs> so the,
2: the the main motivation for me really is it's something I can work on every day that always evolves and changes and. Keeps me on my toes that I can learn.
1: Okay,
0: so that just about wraps up this episode. If you've enjoyed the show, we would love for you to give us a review on iTunes, or if you're an Overcast user, it would be great if you could recommend us by hitting the start button. Um, Also, Uh, We have our very own Slack now that we'd love to invite you to join. Um, Our hope is that it can be a a really cool place for fellow developers to get to know each other. Come and hang out. And uh, if you'd like to join, there'll be instructions in the show notes or um, just send us a message to our Twitter account, which is at
1: WFRpodcast. Uh, So before we all head off, Dave, where can people find you? you can find me at davewood.uk or on twitter at dwroboheads that's roboheads with a z how about you dave Uh, you can find one of my apps which is a remote control for cody
0: at armchair hyphen remote.com my newest app to help kids learn to read space readers is at spacereaders.com And Stephen, how about you? Uh, You
2: can find me on Twitter uh, at underscore Biggerstaff or on my website, it's uk, and that's Stephen with a PH.
0: Great, that's great stuff. Thanks again for coming on, Stephen. We we really appreciate it. No worries, good to be on.